Hey, this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of FE Church, and this is our podcast. Well, as you can tell, we are busy, busy around here, huh? Anybody else busy, busy in October? Fills up quick, doesn't it? And I am very proud of our teams for being out in the community. Uh, when our culture is out in the community, right? We are leveraging this season for Jesus. Amen? Yes. So over the past few weeks, we have been talking a lot about having a heart for people, right? Your Kingdom Come is a series about building that compassion, building a heart for missions, a heart for sheep without a shepherd, like Jesus said. And today, I want to read you yet another passage in the Gospels where Jesus is once again quoted as having compassion on people because they're like sheep without a shepherd. It's a completely different book. We're going to the book of Mark today in chapter 6, but it's the exact same phrase, sheep without a shepherd. And this one gives us a few more hints into how Jesus cultivated a heart for people, how he saw people, how we can see people like Jesus did. Okay, so turn to Mark 6, Verse 30, we're going to read together. The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour. Jesus had sent them out two by two, right, to go and preach in towns. He had anointed them to work miracles, and they went out, and now they are returning. So the apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all they had done and taught. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. Anybody relate to that lately? Not even time to eat. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving. And people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. Now I want to pause just for a moment. The fact that they could have just walked along the shore and gotten there faster? Anybody else like, why get in a boat then, right? Like that little detail, it's these little details that keep me up at night sometimes, guys. Like Jesus had them get in a boat, but they could have just walked there faster. Why? So when God does something, he's doing something, right? He doesn't just do something for no reason. He is a productive, intentional God. And so when we see Jesus do something, he's doing something. Something else was going on here. He still had them get in a boat, and and it's been bugging me for days now. Here's what I've come to the conclusion that I think Jesus knew this might be their only break from people for a while. Anybody else an introvert in here? (laughs) Us introverts are like, amen, break from people, right? It's just, just people drain introverts, right? Whereas being around people fill extroverts up. It's all about energy, not necessarily shyness. Uh, but just, just that energy drain. Some of us just need that refilling once in a while, right? The whole story that we're reading today, this entire thing, is once again about Jesus laying down his life for people. And you'll see what I mean by that by the end. But he's also here making sure that he and his disciples get a break when they need it. Look, people work is draining. Anybody in the service industry or the medical field? <laughs> Anyone who works in these fields, even stay-at-home moms know how draining people can be sometimes, right? 
are not always the most physically demanding jobs, but they are draining. Did you know there's actually something called compassion fatigue? People in the medical field probably do know this already. Compassion fatigue is a condition characterized by emotional and physical exhaustion, leading to a diminished ability to empathize or feel compassion for others, often described as the negative cost of caring. It is sometimes referred to as secondary traumatic stress. It's what happens when you get so many appeals on behalf of people that are suffering that you start to develop an indifference. You get compassion, fatigue, tired of feeling compassion. Look, I've experienced it in ministry before. But also, you know, when my husband was going through kidney failure and it, it was a constant caring, uh, and it sounds horrible, honestly, it feels horrible. It's when you're a caregiver in that sense, uh, you sort of, your, your psyche is all messed up. It really does a number on your psyche, to be honest. Because you, you now feel guilty for everything, for feeling that fatigue. It's awful. You know, you should feel compassion, but you don't, and then you feel guilty about not feeling compassion. You, you beat yourself up. It's exhausting. You're almost too tired to care. Secondary traumatic stress was actually a new way for me to describe that feeling. I had never heard of that before, but I think it's actually the best description I can think of. Secondary traumatic stress. Stress causes your body to do all kinds of unhealthy things. Right? The list actually goes on and on. I looked up the effects that stress has on your body. Headaches, anxiety, overeating or undereating. Muscle tension, pain, restlessness, lack of motivation, angry outbursts, drug and alcohol misuse, fatigue, upset stomach, digestion issues, social withdrawal. I mean, the list kept going. I didn't even write them all down. So much negativity when it comes to stress. You just can't stay there. Can't stay in a state of stress for too long. Your body will literally eventually give out on you. I've been there too. And my dad used to say, you better take a day off or your body will do it for you. And it'll be on the most inconvenient day. Right? Your body will take it for you, meaning you will get sick and you will have to stay home and rest. Your body will make you. But this is why we call Jesus the good shepherd. Right? He leads us by quiet waters. He restores your soul. He, he also asks you to do crazy things like get out of the boat and walk on the water and feed 5,000 people with some loaves and fish. Right? Crazy things, unbelievable, scary things. But sometimes he asks you to get in a boat when you could walk to give you a break from the needy crowds, the incessant following, the constant eyes and attention. The work of these disciples... It never stopped. People always need things. And it's a good thing because they're coming to the right place, right, to get their needs met. They're coming to Jesus. But even Jesus, when he was here on earth, he rested. God modeled rest for us right from the beginning. Created the world in six days and he rested on the seventh. Rest is necessary. Rest is good. Rest causes you to be able to continue to care for people. Right? It's actually productive in the realm of, of what God has for us. Rest is incredibly productive. Look, I know people in our culture have a hard time with this. Right? We may have slowed down a little over the past year and a half, necessarily. But we have a hard time with not being busy. 
We almost see it as a negative thing to not be busy. We have this busy, 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 like when you say, hey, how have you been? You know, oh, so busy. Right? We wear it as like a badge of honor. Just the busiest. <laughs> so, so busy. Or we swing the opposite way. and we, we also, you know, serve our own rest and health more than other people. Go either way. But good theology is almost always found in the middle. And the kingdom of God is not often this or that, but this and that. We need both rest and hard work. Only one out of seven days was set aside for rest. (laughs) Work hard for six days. Rest hard on the seventh day. That is the biblical pattern of rest. Jesus here, although they didn't get a whole day, they got in a boat and they took a break. Jesus cared that his disciples didn't get burned out. He cared that they didn't find themselves in compassion fatigue. He didn't want them stressed and frustrated. He wanted them productive. We serve a productive God. When he does something, he's doing something. And even when he seems like he's doing nothing, he's doing something. Even when he's doing nothing, he's doing something. Rest can be productive. In fact, many people are surprised to realize that when they don't rest, that can be sinful too. The busyness, filling up your lives with even good things, even church things, even serving other people things can be sinful. Not taking a Sabbath, not taking a day off, not resting can actually mean that you're placing your work, your money maybe, above God. Rest is productive when done right. Jesus took naps. Have you seen this t-shirt? Jesus took naps. Be like Jesus. I need that t-shirt. I love naps. It's a good t-shirt. Jesus took naps. Be like Jesus. You are not the Savior. That's what it comes down to knowing. You are not the Savior. But even the Savior took time to rest. It's important. So here they are, the disciples, resting for a minute in the boat, having just a moment away from the crowds. But people follow them anyway. Verse 34. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat. Can you imagine the disciples? Like, oh, I thought we were going to (laughs) rest. Like, there's a crowd here too? (laughs) Jesus, what are we doing here, right? Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them. He wasn't impatient with them. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began doing all their work for them and letting them be lazy. No? That's not what it says? Hmm. (laughs) So he began teaching them many things. Look, disciple making isn't about doing all the work for your disciples. Jesus didn't do all the work for his disciples. Right? We get this mixed up sometimes. We want to superhero it. Right? Swoop in and and save the day. We, We want to be what fixes people. We want people to be in awe of us. I've seen this happen even in church cultures. We want people to think we're so prophetic. We just hear from God all the time. We want to be the superhero. That's not disciple making, though. It's enabling. God is not an enabler. Jesus saw people like sheep without a shepherd, and so he taught them. He didn't hand them everything. He taught them. When he looked at people, he saw them with compassion, even when he was tired. I guess he had had enough of a break on the boat. You know, sometimes Jesus 
will move locations in the Bible for seemingly no reason. It's not for no reason, but it seems like no reason to us. I don't know why for sure that he crossed that water. And and if you keep reading through the passage, he crosses the water again after he feeds 5,000 people. He tells the disciples to get back in the boat, go back across the water while he goes up to pray for a little while. And then we see him coming out on the water in the middle of a storm, right? You remember the story. Why have them crossed the water for a break only to feed 5,000 people and then cross the water again? I kept asking God this this week. But he did do it. He, he moved locations a lot for seemingly no reason. He moved from town to town, even when he had amassed quite a following in a certain town. Even when he was be, being treated like a king in certain towns. And even when there was still lots of work to do there. He left. He moved. Oh, I, I don't know that I have all the answers for this yet, but I do have to remind people of this sometimes. Because we sometimes get really stuck on one way of hearing from God. Right? Like sometimes people will come into this environment and the Holy Spirit is here and in worship we're pouring out our heart to God and tears streaming down our face. And I have a lot of new people tell me this, like, I, I don't know why, but I always cry when I'm here. <laughs> That's good. Right? It's the Holy Spirit healing you from the inside out. Don't worry, we all cry a lot around here. It's fine. You're good. You're in good company, Right? But sometimes, eventually, that fades. Two months in, three months in, a year in, whatever it is, and suddenly I'm not crying so much in worship anymore, and I don't feel the Holy Spirit anymore. And am I doing something wrong? Is the leadership doing something wrong? Are they not feeling the Holy Spirit anymore, right? Jesus moves (laughs) from town to town. No warning to the disciples sometimes. He moves. And it's our job as his sheep to stay alert to his voice and to move with him. Look, he's leading us. We say this all the time in church, so I don't know why we sometimes trick ourselves into thinking we can just set up camp and be done for a while. We can just stay here and Jesus will just stay here with us. But he is leading us somewhere. It's a journey. Let Jesus lead you. Sometimes God will switch up the method that he wants to speak to you through. Instead of worship, maybe he's leading you to get into the word like never before, to let him speak to you through the pages that he's written over centuries, right? To let the words that he's spoken to prophets thousands of years ago speak to you today. Maybe that's where he's moving in your life right now, right? Maybe he, he's moving into another discipline in your life. I'm not saying he's moving from church to church, right? He's physically moving locations anymore. He's not moving around from town to town like he was in the Gospels when he was physically here. But the Spirit, the Holy Spirit wants to lead you through all the disciplines. You know, there are, are lots of spiritual disciplines, right? There's fasting we can hear from God through. There's reading the Word. There is prayer. There is scripture reading. There is rest. Do you know just quiet can be a spiritual discipline. Just being quiet. Be still and know that I am God, right? Sometimes we busy it up too much. We're too busy to hear from God. We just have to calm down our life a little, slow down and hear him. God is as close as a whisper, especially when you're hurting. Psalm says he is close to the brokenhearted. He's close. He hears your whispers. 
He catches every tear. He wants to be there with you in those moments. He just might be leading you in a new direction. He might be deepening your faith. He might be saying, you know, there are other ways to hear from me too. I want to take you here. I want to deepen it. I want to strengthen you. I want to give you more tools in your toolbox to hear from me. Right? Where is Jesus leading us? That is part. The next part of this passage answers that question. Let's keep reading in verse 35. Late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, Look, Jesus, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away. They're probably exhausted at this point, let's be honest. But send the crowds away so they can go to nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. Very practical, these disciples, right? Very helpful. But Jesus said, Jesus sees things in a completely different way, right? We talked about this last week. Jesus has different eyes. He sees things differently. And so Jesus says, you feed them. You feed them. This is a teaching moment for the disciples. They aren't even realizing it's their faith being stretched, not the crowd. They aren't even realizing this is sort of a test for them. This is a teaching moment. There's a significance that goes with this miracle. We know this because later in the the next passage, when Jesus walks on water, it says they just weren't understanding the miracle of the loaves yet. There's a significance to this particular miracle that I think God has a word for us today. They they weren't getting it yet, though. You feed them. With what, they asked. We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. How much bread do you have, he asked. Go and find out. Can you just imagine, just put yourself in this moment for a second. Looking out at the crowds, there are 5,000 men in this crowd, plus all the women and children that go with those men. Imagine how many people, so many people. Imagine what's the biggest concert you've ever been to, looking out at all those people and thinking it's on me to feed them? I just can't. (laughs) Cannot see how Jesus expected them to know. But this was a teaching moment, right? We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. How much bread do you have? He asked. Go and find out. They came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. Imagine being the one to tell Jesus that. Five loaves, two fish. Either, there's only two ways to say that. You say it really snarky, right? Jesus. I told you, we have no, <laughs> we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. Or you say it like you're about to get in trouble. Like, I don't, Jesus, I don't know what you expected, but five loaves of bread <laughs> and two fish. That won't even feed the disciples. Okay? That will barely feed you. <laughs> what are we supposed to do here? Right? Then Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. I cannot tell you the amount of times Jesus has asked me to do something similar to this. Like, I have no idea how this is going to work out. I have no idea why I'm having people sit down in, in groups on the green grass, right? I don't have enough food to feed them. What, why, is, why is this happening? But Jesus expected them to be obedient, even in this moment. So verse 41, Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven, and he blessed them. Then, breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all ate as much as they wanted. 
as much as they wanted. Do you see how just practical and like every day this miracle would seem? Like, of course the crowds are amazed, but they're like, wow, Jesus prepared for us. Right? They're like, he, he must have some sort of back room that I didn't know about. He, he prepared all of this for us. That's amazing. But no, it just kept coming. <laughs> it was not like a big flashy poof moment, right? It just kept coming. And here's my, probably my favorite detail in the whole Bible. Are you ready? It's a silly detail. I'm going to warn you, but it's my favorite. Verse 43. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. I don't know why this is my favorite detail. <laughs> 12 baskets of leftover fish. How many baskets of leftovers? And how many disciples? Does God ever mess up? Does he ever overestimate or underestimate? No, he's perfect in all that he does, right? So Jesus made his disciples to go boxes. On purpose. <laughs> proving once and for all that leftovers are straight from heaven. That's all I'm saying. A total of 5,000 men and their families were fed with enough leftover to feed his disciples the next day, too. I just think that's beautiful. This miracle is unique, okay? Uh, this is the way that Jesus intended ministry to happen for a long time. He was teaching the disciples. He was not only meeting a need in the people, which is beautiful in and of itself, meeting a physical, practical need. I love how Jesus always seems to pair the spiritual with the practical. Right? We have a tendency to do one or the other sometimes. Like we'll, we'll edge toward the spiritual and everything is ooh and ah and it's weird and it's all spiritual, right? Or we get very practical about faith. Like this, this, and this needs to happen and, you know, so we'll leave the spiritual, the Holy Spirit stuff to the Pentecostals. It's one or the other. But Jesus is not this or that. He is this and that. It's both. He pairs them together. Even in the Lord's Prayer, right? He says, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. In the Lord's Prayer, he's teaching us how to pray, and he's saying, just today's bread, God. But also your kingdom come and your will be done. I mean, it's spiritual, it's big. And then it's just today and the bread. <laughs> spiritual and practical. This is the way Jesus intended ministry to happen long term. We were... He was teaching the disciples to meet needs miraculously. And he was using this as a teaching moment all at the same time. The disciples could not have known why Jesus was crossing that water. They could not understand it even soon after. I believe they looked back on that miracle for years to come. And still probably didn't fathom all the truths that it had in it. Maybe at the time they thought it was just for their rest that they were crossing that lake, water, whatever, whatever it was, sea. <laughs> you know, the, maybe they thought that it was just for them to get a brief break from the crowds and the busyness and the work. Maybe, maybe they thought they'd just stay over there for a while and they'd hang out with Jesus. And they'd, maybe the fishermen thought this was just a special treat for them to get back out into the water again. Could they have known that Jesus had a unique miracle in mind? Like, could they have known that Jesus was teaching them how to feed his sheep? That Jesus himself is the giver of life and bread and light and food, and yet he still asks us to be the ones to hand it out. Could they have known that he was trying to teach them 
But when you put even a small amount of resources in the hands of Jesus, he will feed the masses with it. This was not a come-to-me moment in Jesus' ministry, but a scattered moment. Jesus was trying to show them that it wasn't just about that moment, but the model of ministry going forward was going to change. That it wasn't a come to the temple in Jerusalem to worship God and be right with God anymore, but that it was out in the communities with people, serving them, feeding them. We, as the workers, bring our resources to Jesus and he multiplies them. I have been reminded of this constantly over the past few weeks. Thank you, man. Some days I'm so busy, I feel like I have very little to bring to God. Right? Very little time, very little money, very little emotional energy. And sometimes I fall into bed at the end of the night and just say, God, I love you. Good night. Right? That's all I got. Can I just be real with you? Can we be real in the house of God today? Sometimes that's all I got. But whatever I bring to God, he multiplies. Even if it's just a little. Two loaves. No, two fish, five loaves, right? And it fed thousands. Because God's addition, God's math is not addition, but multiplication. When you put things in his hands, he multiplies them. If I can just remain faithful, he will do the rest. And I think this miracle was unique because it wasn't only about the food they were eating or the people they were serving. This was the moment the disciples looked back on later. It's the moment that they became disciple makers, not just disciples. Jesus was trying to teach them to be disciple makers, to be his hands and feet. Jesus sat and he multiplied. The disciples handed it out. The disciples delivered it. The disciples received the thank yous and the oohs and ahs. Right? The disciples did the work. They were the miracle workers. They assisted in the miracle, just like we do today. We do not provide the power. We provide the hands and feet. This time in history, it's no accident that you're here. It's no accident that you're living in this time in history. God has chosen you for this time in history. And God sees you all not just as a congregation, not just as a Freedom Valley family, not just as attenders, but as disciple makers. You are meant to come to Jesus and then go out into the people. Come to Jesus and then go out into the people. Come in the doors, go out the doors. Be in the community. You are meant to get your own fish and bread and teaching from him and then go out and feed the sheep. We pray the Lord's Prayer, and we, you know, we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, as if it's something outside of our control. I think a lot of times we pray that prayer thinking that's something only God can do. Uh, yeah, God, you know, Jesus told me to pray for it, but that's just, your kingdom come, your will be done, God, you handle that part, and then give me, give me bread today. I don't think that's why Jesus told us to pray it. Your kingdom come. That plan is through you. It's through people. And through this series, I'm calling you into ministry. I'm not talking about, you know, paid and in a church and speaking from stage and going to Bible school and training and whatever, although maybe that's your calling. But this is a call to become the church, not just attend the church. To be the church, to be his disciple makers, to make his kingdom come because you're in it. 
You carry his kingdom with you today. Someday Jesus is going to come back, and yes, it will be a physical, actual kingdom, okay? But it's both here, now, and coming soon because he's within you, and you carry it with you wherever you go. I've told this story a couple times lately, but my dad started this church when I was five years old. We moved here from Lancaster. My dad was a little Amish boy in Lancaster, number 10 of 11 little Amish kids running around a farm, just a farmer's kid, who grew up to plant this very church and see thousands of people come to know Jesus and serve him throughout the community. The thing that happened in between were two ushers. Not a a preacher, not a Pentecostal service, just ushers who ran after him. He actually attended his first Pentecostal service when he was like 16, I think. A little Amish kid, remember, he snuck in the back, hated every second of it, snuck out the back. (laughs) It freaked him out, right? This environment after, you know, Amish don't even have um, instruments in their services. Okay, it's very dry. I've been, I've only been to a couple, but they are, they're beautiful. Their voices are beautiful, but it's a dry service. And so a Pentecostal service would freak somebody out after all of that. And he was, he was freaked out. He ran out the back, said, I am never coming back there. But two ushers ran after him. Just everyday guys. And they loved him. Asked him some questions. They got to know him a little and they asked him to come back for their Sunday night service that night. And because of them, we are sitting here today. Yeah. Most people make up their minds about church not because of anything I say, but because of you all. Were you welcoming? Do they feel like they can find a friend here? They feel like they're welcomed here, loved here, like they fit in here. It sounds sort of like juvenile questions, like kids, I love kids, they'll just run up to another kid in the playground and say, will you be my friend? (laughs) Adults don't do that. (laughs) But we're asking the question, we just don't ask the question. We come into a church for the first time, that's the question we're asking. And it's not because of what the preacher says, it's because of you. You don't have to be a preacher or a theologian just have to be obedient. We've got to make Jesus's last command our first priority. Go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the job. That job doesn't change whether the end times, the book of Revelation comes through tomorrow or in 200 years or 2,000 years. The job is to go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I believe the first step to developing a heart for evangelism is developing compassion. Jesus saw the crowds. He looked at them with compassion. Saw them as sheep without a shepherd. That is how we have to begin to see the world. And and it's an intentional decision sometimes. It might not be a heart move at first. Like keeping your heart soft towards people is a decision. It must be chosen. It's the opposite of the world's attitude. The world says, look out your, look out for yourself. Stay to yourself, right? Protect number one. Everybody else is out to get you. They're the enemies. 
or we, we put ourselves in groups and say everybody else is the enemy. The, the opposite, uh, political party is the enemy, right? Or I'm part of this club, but everybody else, nobody else has my back. Look out for yourself. But what if Jesus had chosen that? Where would you be today if Jesus had chosen that? Where would we be today if those ushers, a little church in Christiana, PA, had chosen that? It's not always selfish reasons that we choose to say to ourselves. Sometimes we think we're saving others from ourselves. Like Peter, after denying Jesus three times, and probably my favorite passage in the whole Bible is after Jesus dies and resurrects. Peter has denied him three times when Jesus needed him the most, right? Peter, the headstrong one. Peter, the leader. Peter, the one that was passionate. Peter that said, I'll follow you to the ends of the earth, Jesus. Peter denied him three times. But Jesus shows up. And he calls him back. He actually sits on a beach and he cooks him breakfast. He calls him back, not just back to him, but back to ministry. He says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, of course, Lord. You know I love you. Jesus says, then feed my lambs. Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? A second time. Peter says, you know I love you, Lord. Jesus says, then feed my sheep. And again, a third time, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's hurt by this point, right? Of course, Lord. I mean, I just said it twice. (laughs) You know I love you. You know I love you. Jesus says, then feed my sheep. He's calling him back to ministry. We have to find ways to do this. It's not enough just to call yourself a Christian. It's not enough to just have faith with nothing to back it up. Faith without works is dead. We're not earning our salvation. This isn't works-based salvation teaching. We're not earning our salvation. God's love is unconditional. His blessings are conditional. And sometimes my hard work does earn someone else's salvation. Let's say that again. Sometimes my hard work earn someone else's salvation. Not in the sense that I can force someone to come to Jesus or, or, you know, that I can be someone else's salvation, but in the sense that if if I don't respond to the Holy Spirit when he tells me to, to talk to someone or tell them Jesus loves them, who will? If I don't go and tell my friends, my neighbors, my family about Jesus, who will? You have been called according to his purposes. I have been called according to his purposes, not my own. What if I'm just too lazy or or scared or selfish to do it? The people in my life suffer. People in my life are like sheep without a shepherd. Wandering around in the darkness, desperately trying to find something, someone to hold on to for truth. So if I'm going to sum all of this up as the band comes... How do I see people like Jesus did? How? How do I get there? How do I understand? How do I have his eyes to see people? Number one, see rest as productive. 
begin to see rest as productive, not just something that's selfish for you, not something to be entertained, but to actually be productive with it. Get the rest that you need to be fully present and attend to the needs of others. Begin to see caring for yourself as caring for others. If you're too busy, you're too stressed, you're too overworked, you're too tired, you're not going to be the selfless person that you could be if you were fully present and not so needy physically. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your lives. That's a Dallas Willard quote. Best way to feed yourself spiritually. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry. See the needs of the people around you. Get the rest you need to be fully present. Number two, let Jesus lead you. When you said, I'm in, to following Jesus with that first time you said, I'm in, you stopped being your own boss. You are not the boss of you anymore. Jesus is. Let him lead you. Let him lead you. Get in the boat when he says get in the boat, even when it doesn't seem to make sense. Get out of the boat, even when he said, we're going to rest, and then there's crowds on the other side. Go get the fish and the loaves, even when it doesn't make sense to get them. Separate people into groups, even when that doesn't make any sense. Let him lead you. We want to argue with God so many times. Believe Jesus, that doesn't make sense. Why would I do that? As if he doesn't know. Let him lead you. He will lead you in scary directions, in restful directions, unknown directions. Let him. Number three, recognize your own responsibility to each other. The disciples were the miracle workers. Jesus was trying to get them to see that. Recognize your own responsibility to each other. We have been placed in this world in community, in family, in fellowship. as the human race. As a human, you are responsible for others. But even more so, as a follower of Jesus, you are responsible for others. Jesus expects you to feed them. Will you? Jesus didn't do all the work himself. He could have. Of course he could have. But he chose not to. And if he chose not to, then it was the perfect way to do it. Jesus was fully God and fully man. If he did it a certain way, then it was the way to do it. It's the only perfect way to do it. Because he did it that way, right? He chose to use his disciples in that moment. Could he have just clicked his fingers and magic fish and loaves in everybody's hands? Sure, but he used the disciples. disciples as the miracle workers. They had a part in it. They weren't the ones providing the power, okay, but they were the deliverers of it. You are the miracle working hands and feet of Jesus. You have a part to play in his kingdom coming here. When you look at this world and see a problem, Jesus is saying, you feed them.
today for your presence. Ask you today to speak to us, to lead us, to guide us. We ask you to show us the needs in everyday life. Help us be the light shining on a hill like a lighthouse in the storm. Help us be an anchor for people. Help us teach and guide with humility like Jesus did. Help us show up in the houses of sinners when we're not expected to. Help us love them genuinely. Help us be a force to be reckoned with in this world. Not an angry force, not a judgmental, shameful force. Life-giving, hope-giving love force for you. Raise your hand right here. In the, if you're in the room, raise your hand. 
your hand up high. I want to give my life to Jesus. Maybe it's the first time or it's been a long time. You just want to give your life to Jesus today and ask him to be the Lord of your life. If you're watching online, you can text the number on the screen. We'd love to help you with that decision as well. Raise your hand up high and Usher will just give you a small card that'll help you with that decision too. Maybe you're here today and you would say, I I know I'm not allowing God to use me. Maybe he's spoken and you've chickened out. We do that sometimes, right? Maybe he's called you to do something, but life got busy and you just haven't done it. Maybe you have something laying on your heart today you feel like God is calling you to do. Would you just raise your hand if any of those are you, just so I know who I'm praying for. Father, we just thank you. Thank you for the gifts and callings that you've placed on our lives. Father, I I prophesy and I call out specific gifts and talents in this room. Pray that you would bring prophets from among us. We would be encouragers in our communities, that people would begin to know us as people that speak life. Father, I call out healers in this community, that you would specifically gift people with your gift of healing. They would be able to go into hospitals and go to sick beds and lay their hands on the sick and heal them in Jesus' name. We call that out. Father, we, we ask you for gifts of wisdom and knowledge gifts of love and and joy that all of the gifts that the Holy Spirit brings would just overflow out of us as a people, that we would truly be the vibrant, passionate, selfless people you've called Freedom Valley to be. We'd be able to truly minister the gospel, that God is real, God is good, and he loves us so much. God, we ask that your kingdom would come and that you would use us, equip us, empower us to do it with your Holy Spirit. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash I-N-N. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links.
Amen. Amen. Would you give Pastor Candace and Aaron and the worship team, just give them thanks for bringing that word. Imagine this if Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk, Bill Gates walked through the door, came up and interrupted me and said, I need one person to partner with me for a project. Would you volunteer? Probably so. Because here's billionaires, multi-billionaires saying, I want you to help me. Well, we don't have a billionaire. We have the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, who made the earth the heavens. If you have a chance to look at Louis Giglio's presentation, when you see that the solar system that we're in is a little pinprick, God made all that. And yet, as Pastor Candace shared, he's wanting, he doesn't need us. He wants to partner with us to reach your neighbor, to reach your business, to reach people in your school. And he will not only partner with you, he will give you the abilities and talent and the grace and the strength to do it all. Isn't that good? Let's give him a round of applause. We are the miracle workers. Hallelujah. Father God, we thank you. It's just amazing that you want to partner with us. We're just so grateful. And then you give us everything we need to do it. It doesn't even say you bring something to the party. You give us, you give everything for us to be disciple makers, to be the miracle workers, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We're so grateful. Thank you, Lord. Enable us, equip us this week, and let us be bold and courageous to listen to the Holy Spirit and be obedient in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Last week, we made a commitment to walk our neighborhoods and pray over it. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. Remember to do that this week. All right. God bless you. The prayer team is up here. If you need prayer, we'll see you at the chili cook-off. God bless.